Hey, it's Errol. PodFest brings together three different conversations from musicians to authors, doctors, environmentalists, or cooks in their own kitchen. These are real people with real stories. PodFest 65. We're going to kick things off with sports journalist Jason Reed, author of the book Rise of the Black Quarterback. Then we're going to rip out our rock guitars and voices and jam with two of the most creative people in the business today, Janet Gardner and Justin James. Our third conversation is with one of the most talented and vibrantly lifted comedian actors of our time, the always funny and very entertaining Jane Lynch. This is PodFest 65. Jason Reed, creator of the book, The Rise of the Black Quarterback. My God, what a book. Why did it take so long to get this book out here? Well, um, well, first of all, thank you for the kind words. I, it's a story that's more than 100 years in the making. I mean, the yes. NFL is more than 100 years old now. And um, I, I, mean, I spent the last two years reporting and writing this. I thought I knew a lot about the subject matter going into it, but... I, I learned so much. Um, it was an education for me, and I hope it will be an education for anyone who picks up the book. You know what's really interesting, Jason, is that you, you talk about reporting. I never once, while in these pages, did I feel like that it was a reporter. I felt like that you were in my living room having a conversation with a game that I have watched my entire life. Well, that's that's definitely high praise, and I, I can't thank you enough for that. That's the intention. You know, I, This is my first book, but I've, I've read a lot of books in my lifetime, and I think the best books are the ones where people become so engrossed in them because they feel that this is a story that they that they they now they understand and they're enjoying and and it's really a conversation in the mind of the person reading it and the the words that the writer has put on the page it, it's definitely a a passion a project I have a great deal of passion about and I, I know for me and just as a as an avid reader of books the books that I enjoy the most are the ones that I can tell the, that the writer or the author of the book definitely cared about sharing a story. The book we're talking about is Rise of the Black Quarterback, What It Means for America. You know there's going to be a follow-up book. It's going to be Rise of the Black Coach. You know, we've, we've gone through the quarterbacks. we got to get to the coach, too. Well, I tell you what, um, that, that would be great. So if, if you want Rise of the uh, Black Coach, Go out and buy Rise of the Black Quarterback wherever books are sold. You bet. <laughs> but, I mean, you, what, what's really great about this book, and fans of football today as well as yesterday need to understand that you really go into these stories and you remind us of those that created these moments today. I mean, Randall Cunningham, holy cow. When was the last time that we had his name in our vocabulary? Yeah, you know, and, and Randall Cunningham is a pioneer. Never before had the NFL seen the likes of this guy. I mean, he, he, he had an incredible arm. But he also was this incredibly gifted athlete. He also was a punter too, um, and you know he, he could do all these things. He was nicknamed the ultimate weapon, and it's one of my favorite chapters in the book. Uh, the opening to the chapter is Carl Banks, the the great outside linebacker from those New York Giants, Bill Parcells teams, those Super Bowl winners. On a Monday Night Football game, Giants against Eagles, NFC East clash. Carl Banks hit Randall Cunningham so hard. That, that he should have gone down, it should have been a sack, but the incredibly gifted athlete that Randall Cunningham was at the time, he, he puts his hand down on the field, steadies himself, and gets up and throws a touchdown pass. <laughs> it was unlike anything the NFL had ever seen before. Isn't that the reason why we watch those games every Sunday and Monday and Thursday night, because we're always looking for that stunning moment? Yeah, every day of the week now it seems like that the NFL is on, because the NFL dominates our national consciousness. It's not just the most popular sport in the country. It really is a, it's 
so much in the fabric of the country. You have baseball was a national pastime. The NBA is popular. A lot of people like the NHL. But the NFL is unique. The NFL is so much more than everything else, and it's why it dominates our thoughts, and it's why we do turn in on, tune in on Mondays and Sundays and Thursdays to see the next great play. One of the things that happens on that football field is that someone has to be the leader, and it's, it, it all falls on the shoulders of the quarterback. Are, are, are black quarterbacks criticized more because fans want more? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I would say up front that black quarterbacks have never been in a better position in the NFL. Yeah. They're superstars. They're, there are many of them who are superstars. They're among the highest paid players and the most influential. But, you know, as we saw last week with the opening of training camp, when there were some anonymous quotes by uh, defensive coordinators criticizing the, the performances of Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, who both have won league MVP awards, and Patrick Mahomes also has a Super Bowl trophy and a Super Bowl MVP award, it prompted Patrick Mahomes to address the media, well, when he addressed the media, to talk about the situation. Mm-hmm. And so that you know what, there are sometimes some things said that you wonder exactly why they're being said about maybe us as opposed to some other quarterbacks. Speaking of using that voice, Colin Kaepernick, oh my God, I, I love this man because he created a movement. He stood up and made people think as well as react. Yeah, and it cost him his career because there's there's no credible argument from a football standpoint why Colin Kaepernick has been out of the league, what, the past five years now? Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's just simply the fact that he angered team owners because he threatened their incredibly successful business model. There's just no other way to put it. He was more than good enough to be on an NFL roster. Now, we can debate how many teams he could have started for. He wasn't the best quarterback in the league, but he was more than good enough to still play, yeah. and what he did cost him his career. And he, he keeps trying to get back in. Why, why won't they bring him back in? My God. I mean, the guy can throw. Yeah, you know, I wrote about this back in 2016 wow. or 2017 when I said to, when I wrote a piece saying that we've seen the last of Colin Kaepernick in the NFL, and this was before he uh, sued the league and settled a collusion grievance against the league, um, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a decision that was sealed. The NFL owners don't want Colin Kaepernick on a team. I think there's still, let me say, the reason is, I believe, is that there's still uh, residual anger from the fact that he brought all this attention on. But I also think there's another element now. Colin Kaepernick is a global icon. He's not just a global sports icon. He's a global icon. And and when when you look at the attention he receives, I do believe that, the next time there's a police involved shooting with a young African-American male, and unfortunately uh, uh, the odds say that there will be another one, or some controversial situation that occurs you know, in, with a situation uh, involving social justice, every reporter is, would descend upon whatever team Colin Kaepernick mm-hmm. was playing for at the time and would be in the locker room and asking him questions. And I do think that teams also don't want to deal with the fact that Colin Kaepernick is bigger than the game now and what that would mean about media coverage and and the other players having to deal with that. Did you think Michael Vick was the Michael Jordan of of, of the NFL? I realize things went kind of wrong, but my God, Michael Vick. Incredibly gifted player, incredibly gifted athlete, incredibly talented quarterback. I I hesitate to make the Michael Jordan comparison because Michael Jordan had a a run of not just an incredible 
individual success, but team success and, right. and, and statistics that across the board for, for his entire career. Now, having said that, Michael Vick, 2001, became the first African-American quarterback drafted, number one overall in the NFL draft, and did things on the football field that, you know, even with Randall Cunningham, as great as he was, we hadn't seen before. But uh, great talent, but because of the way things ended, obviously, you know, everybody knows what happened with his situation. We didn't get to see him really right. at his peak, I think, for the whole time. Had a great comeback with the Philadelphia Eagles after leaving the Atlanta Falcons and going to jail. But what could have been in those years he was out of the game? Being from Carolina, of course, you know, I love me, I love me some Cam Newton, and that man has put himself on the map as well. Um, is, is he a history maker? I mean, will, will he be forever remembered? Yeah, I mean, I think he will. I mean, he, at, at the time, um, and I, and I, shouldn't, I think I know this off the top of my head, I believe he became only the second African-American quarterback to win the league MVP award after Steve McNair, who shared the award with Peyton, Peyton Manning years ago, um, you know, got the, got the Carolina Panthers to the Super Bowl. He was the MVP of the league that year, only the second black quarterback to do that. So yeah, I do believe Cam Newton will be remembered. You know, most endings end badly. You know, if, if it didn't end badly, it wouldn't be an ending in, in a lot of cases. And so, you know, you look at the last few years of his career is, how would he be, how would he be remembered? Could he have been remembered differently if he had won that Super Bowl? Because really, it's all about winning. We know that that's that's the ultimate you know measurement in the NFL. I got to tell you, Jason, uh, my friend John, who's who's uh, big into the the uh, religious world and stuff like that, he's a preacher. He said that this book will will serve as a great tool inside his congregation. And I mean, you you are reaching beyond beyond the football fan by releasing this book. Well, thank you so much for saying that. That that means a lot because the book is not just about when I was reporting it and writing it. My my hope was is that people would take away more than football. It's not just about football. Yep. It's about this country. It's about how black black men are viewed. Um, it's about changes that have occurred. So um, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You got to come back in the future, dude, because I mean, you, you, you experience a lot of things that everyday people do not, but yet when you speak it and you write about it, yes, we are part of that. And, and that's what I love about your writing. Well, th- well, again, I, uh, I'm, I'm honored that you feel that way, and, and I'd love to come back, and thank you so much. Well, you be brilliant today, okay, sir? <laughs> you, are, you have a good one. Episode number 95, Synergy. When word reached them in Australia that the world of music and all forms of arts and business were quickly closing around the world, Janet Gardner and Justin James knew instantly that they were being called to a different stage. I mean, just because the planet strapped itself into a lockdown, that didn't mean that these two singer-songwriters were going to sit around playing with the TikTok app or be glued to a pair of news headline shoes. They wrote and recorded music, which they continue to do even today. An overflowing vault of sound. And they laugh it off by calling it a drug with no cure. We are unplugged and totally uncut with Janet Gardner and Justin James. What are you doing, you rock stars? <laughs> How you doing, Arrow? <laughs> man, it's been a while, man. What is it, what, what's been going on with you? Uh, just a lot of writing and recording and trying to continue to spit out new music. How about yourself? You know, just, just doing exactly what, you, what you're talking about, but in, in the way of like, because I, I created an iHeartRadio channel called Play It Forward, and it was all dedicated to songwriters and performers and stuff like that, because in the beginning, people were not, were not writing during COVID-19. So when you say that you've been writing, that just makes me proud as hell of you two. 
Oh, thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, we're we're stuck in the same house together, locked down. So, you know, we we were definitely uh, inspired to start working on stuff. And what has that been like? Because I've been I've been married for 28 years, and I swear to you that uh, you know now now that I've gone through COVID, it's like I think I married the right girl. I really did. I still like her. <laughs> that's that's perfect. Yes, you you passed the COVID test, <laughs> and we did too. With, fly, with flying colors, we're still you know. Yeah, we're still married, still happy. Now, when you put the song Wounded together, did, was it right from the very beginning, Anthem-esque? Because I love the way that you invite the, the live audience in the video to, to you know, to kind of harmonize in the background and then hit me with that hook. Go ahead, Justin. <laughs> you know, it's hard to say. Um, when we first started doing that, it was right when we went on tour in Australia and I came up with the, the main riff to the song, and I, I almost thought it was too busy, that it might not be usable for something we would do. And then when we got back, um, Janet started attacking it, and all of a sudden it just lit up to this, yeah, like you said, very anthemic-sounding song, that when it came time to put the video together, and with the whole coronavirus, obviously we couldn't get together with you know a full band to shoot a video, so we had to shoot it ourselves. And we figured, oh, we got to have live concert footage in there. We've got to feature a crowd and, you know, add those elements to the video. And couldn't be more proud of the way it turned out. Yeah, we used some live footage from Australia when obviously we, you know, it was before the COVID lockdown. So we were still playing at the time. We, we actually had some good live footage. So we threw that in there and made it work. Hi, uh, what is your writing process? Do you come up with the words first or do you find a melody and come back and fill in the words? Most of the time, I think it's the music first. We, we write that and then, you know, Janet usually takes, takes the bull by the horn and, and gets inspired, I think, lyrically with, you know, what direction the song should go in. And I mean, on occasion, there'll, there'll be words, you know, uh, kind of a, a subject point to write about. But I would say the majority of the time, it's music first and then lyrics. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. <laughs> Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's right. When he's right, he's right. I can admit it. You can see as I'm, as I'm asking that question, I'm sitting here curled in a ball shake. You think I'm going to get a black eye. <laughs> yeah, there's no set way to do it. But a lot of times it's, yeah, it's the music first. Occasionally, like the song Gone off of this album, I sort of heard the the lyrics and melody in my head before the music, which is kind of different. But um, so, yeah, it happens all different ways. But most of the time it's it's music first and then it sort of inspires, inspires a mood and then some actual lyrics. OK, that, that's really great. Um, what would you say? What bands or what music do you listen to these days that really influences what you do right now? Ooh, we both have different ones. When I was growing up, I was really influenced by, you know, 70s bands like Aerosmith, Zeppelin, Deep Purple. Then soon after that, I remember the first time I heard Crazy on You by Heart on the radio, nearly died. That was a real life changer for me. Yeah, and for for me, it's I, I think it was, it's always been. I mean, Kiss is hands down my favorite band, so they are a huge influence on on writing styles. And as far as guitar playing goes, I absolutely love Jakey e. Lee, especially his Ozzy era stuff. And 
the Badlands things he did. And then John Sykes, you know, when he was playing with Thin Lizzy and White Snake, they just had this awesome rhythmic feel to their guitar playing. Um, and I, that's just such a huge influence for me as far as style goes. You, you bring up Kiss, and I've got to ask you a question because you don't know what's going on on this side of the of the speaker and stuff like that. But is this the first time that you've had all people with masks on interviewing you? <laughs> I think so. I, I, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, no wonder we can't understand it. You guys are all masked up. We are. We are. <laughs> I love it. Good for you. Talk to me about the song "Say You Will" because this is this is very emotional. Is there a backstory to this song? There is actually. I started writing that song after I first met Justin, and it, it's about Justin for Justin. <laughs> and um, at the time, we were kind of playing around with. I was doing some ideas for Vixen before Justin and I ever wrote a note together. And so I kind of put it aside for a while. And then after I left Vixen, it was just sitting there. So it's kind of awkward. I'm like, I have a song for you, but it's not quite done. We want, you want to help me finish my song about you? It's a very weird <laughs> feeling, yeah, writing a song about yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I enlisted his help writing a song so about himself. <laughs> I made her put a full-length mirror in front of me, so I got to just stare at myself as I wrote my book. <laughs> just kidding. What <laughs> <laughs> <For> inspiration. <laughs> What inspires you? So, yeah, that's my, that's my love song to Justin. And it's cool. One of the things I really, really like about that song is it's kind of, you know, we're huge Def Leppard fans, too. And, you know, we wanted something kind of in that Def Leppard hysteria, love bites vein. And, you know, we tried to pull some thoughts from that and, you know, make it our own. And, and I think we did a pretty good job with it. That's one of my favorite songs on the new album. What inspires you to keep writing new music? Oh, just, just when it's in your blood, it's in your blood. You can't really stop for a while. You know, things in life get in the way, of course, of the time to create. So I went a lot of years, and I think Justin did too, Yeah, really not writing much new music because of life. We have kids and all kinds of other things going on. And so... Once we started doing it, it was like, oh, my God, this has been missing both of our lives for way too long. And now we can't stop. It's become a drug. <laughs> and it was funny because we blasted through this new album so fast because of the situation right now with the whole coronavirus. And we were done before we knew it. And I mean, I was like, oh, my God, I, I, I still want to write more. I, let's keep going. And we already have three or four demos for a new CD already or, you know, to start the next thing because we just can't stop. Well, I keep, I keep waiting for that moment where we both kind of got nothing, where we both look at each other and go, well, I guess we should take a break because we, we got nothing. But it hasn't happened yet. Every time that one of us becomes, gets a little itch to sit down and do something, it just starts rolling again. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's addictive. Okay, so uh, I heard. So you mentioned the demos. My question has to do with: Do you think that another album be co could be coming out in two, three years from now? Oh, of course, absolutely. Yeah. So far, we're, we've we've had one a year since we started this. So yeah, we did 2017. Just, wait, did it come out in 2018? We, but our first album was 2017. Then we took a year break, and then we did 2019. Well, it was a year and a half. It was like it was. Yeah. mid-year mid instead of fall 
so yeah, a year and a half. And then this one, it was a year. It was, yeah. And one of the things, I mean, I love like back in the seventies and, and even the eighties bands were putting out albums every year. And I thought that was really cool. And I mean, as long as it's quality stuff and you know, you believe in it, you know, I think, I think it's awesome to, to keep spitting them out. Cause nowadays you do have bands that go four years, five years without new music. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just like Janet said, it's like a drug to us. We just want to keep doing it. It's almost like we've kind of set that level now where it's like, well, let's do it again. Let's, let's see if we, let's spit another one out in a year and try to keep this trend going as long as we possibly can. The album we're talking about is Synergy uh, from Janet Gardner and, and Justin James. Now, the song Gone, that I, you know, I, when I go through an album, I like to rip an album down and apart and really kind of study the art of it and stuff like that. The song Gone was my instant replay button song. In other words, I kept listening to it over and over again. What What's in this song that made me keep going back? I don't know. That's funny that you said that because we were just talking about whether the, you know, the music comes first or the words and the concept and that was one for me that was in my head before I ever played a note or sang a note. I just, I heard it in my head and um, it's just fun. We just, every album, there's a lot of serious stuff in life and a lot of anger and a lot of things like that. And every album we have to have one that's just plain fun. Actually, we have two on this album that's just plain fun. And it's tongue in cheek and a lot of fun. And it's, I love 70s kind of ACDC Aerosmith that kind of rock and that's kind of where that came from was that that part of us and one of the things too that's real special about that song for us is actually our 15 year old daughter helped sing the background vocals in that song and that's the first time we've ever yeah one of our kids we wanted that really big chanty crowd thing going and uh we convinced her and her friend to stand around the microphone and sing the chorus over and over again for us. And that was really cool. And it's, just, I think it's, yeah, it's just a laid back song that there's no seriousness involved into it. It's just a fun, good time and a great song for, especially with everything going on right now to just leave that aside and just enjoy yourself and escape it for a little bit. And when we were writing the lyrics too, we were laughing the whole time. We, <laughs> you should have heard some of the outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> Had a little bit of too much bite to him. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was a fun one. And by the way, our daughter participated, but our sons wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> like, oh, that's not cool. No, we're not doing that. Yeah, we are the ultimate nerds. Yeah, get it. You're not cool. <laughs> Uh, I know for a musician, being on stage and connecting with the fans is one of the best parts of your job. What is your favorite city to perform in and why? Did you get that? I'm sorry. Yeah, we're we're on a speakerphone on a cell phone too, which makes it even harder. One more time. Uh, I know for musician musicians being on stage and connected with the fans is one of the best parts of your job. What is your favorite city to perform in, and why? Oh, that's tough. Um, they all. I mean, everywhere we've been has had special something special about it. Um, rather it be a big crowd turnout or just you know, even if it's a small but mighty crowd and really into it. But one area that really stands out to me is this last trip we just took to Australia. Um, just because it's one of those places it's really hard to get to. It's very far away. And it's kind of a bucket list place. 
and everybody in that entire country was so cool and so supportive and every night was just a fun great crowd and the people that we worked with on that tour were just so nice and so helpful that that definitely sticks out but every area has got it it's great place i mean we were in florida when we went to the whiskey in california and then we were in chicago it was just awesome so I'm going to make a prediction. I think uh, the your your first adult top forty hit nationwide is going to be flying on faith. Ah, oh, I, like that. I like that too. That's the one that actually started this whole um, album. That was the first song we wrote. So that's I like that. That and it is kind of we're kind of grown up. <laughs> we wrote a grown-up song <laughs> yeah to me that is the most like when you think of bands from the 80s or th- that's kind of like the modern 80s sound to me it's just it's it's kind of serious but it's got moodiness to it it's got element and like, dynamics of that song just build up from each spot in that song and i just i i absolutely love that one and we actually yeah we that's how we spent our new year's eve that was like janet said the first song and we spent our new year's eve writing that song and recording it now if i remember correctly you were in australia when this coronavirus started to break out i'm curious to know what was that like um how did that affect you how did that affect you creatively how what kept you guys going uh after this whole thing started spreading you know, it was that was interesting too because when we left for Australia, it really wasn't a big deal here in the states yet. Right, it was China. Nobody was really concerned about it anywhere but there. And while we were in Australia, it was about two days before we came home. Our bass player said to us, "Hey, I think they're starting to lock down and not let people travel to countries." And we we started to get a little worried that we were going to get stuck there. And not that we wouldn't have minded it because it's a beautiful country, but there's no way we could have afforded to be stuck in Australia and support ourselves out there. Yeah. And like the last time we went to a grocery store there, of course, there was no toilet paper. Yeah. We noticed that. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a lot of people wearing masks already before it was even a big thing. So, yeah, we definitely and we didn't have masks. We didn't. We weren't prepared at all for that to happen while we were there. So and we made it. I think we got back to America three days before the shutdown. So we had just barely made it back here. And, you know, we were grateful we were able to slip in, you know, a handful of shows before the lockdown kicked in. And we were grateful to be back home. And and yeah, I mean, we just distracted ourselves you know, I mean, during this whole lockdown with being creative and trying to write music and because a lot of people were saying too, you know, do you really want to put out a CD during this time? You can't tour and support it. And our thought was, well, if people can't go see shows, well, then let's give them new music and something new to enjoy. And some videos to watch and yeah, keep it, keep it going somehow, whatever way we can. The um we're talking about is Synergy from Janet Gardner and Justin James. Um, did I read in the small print correctly here that that when, when people jam out to You Can Kiss This, that you'll pay for our speeding tickets? Because there's no way I'm driving the speed limit with that song. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. The funny thing is, too, is that song was actually recorded originally faster than what even Are ended up. Are you kidding me? Album. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm the speed police. Justin is the spit police. Like if if he goes through my mo- vocal tracks and if he hears any like smacking or anything, yes. it has to go. And I'm the speed police. I'm like, 
this is way too fast. <laughs> way too fast. He's like, no, no, it's perfect. No, I'm like, we have got to slow this down. <laughs> we, we, needed, we needed a balls out song for the album, something that, and I think it ended up being probably the fastest song I think we've ever recorded. And oh my God. Yeah, just same thing when I'm if I go to the gym or if I'm driving my car, that's the song I throw on to for, you know, lift me up and definitely light me up. So, yeah, turn it up to 11. Do you have 11 in the car? <laughs> well, I mean, because I mean, the, the, the thing about this album is, is that you do hit every emotional string on it, which makes it a, what, what an album is supposed to be about. I mean, they're, they're supposed to have themes. They're supposed to have concepts and they're supposed to really make you just want to sit there and experience it again. And you guys definitely do that with synergy. And I, and I think what really I mean, we're not supposed to judge a book by its cover, but the album cover really caught my attention. <laughs> yeah, everybody asks. It's, you know, it's a, it's our primal self. Yes, music is primal. Of course, Janet's going with the cigarette, and I'm the one, you know, with the halo over my head. No. <laughs> uh, I'm the wine glass. You're the cigarette. That whole thing too. Funny how that came about because the first two albums we did together, um, we just went under the name Janet Gardner. We just we called it. Her solo album, even though theoretically it was the two of us writing every song and playing every instrument. And then this time around, we decided, all right, you know, let's let's throw both of our names on there and, and officially make it a partnership. And it's the first album of the three that doesn't feature our face and has two gorillas on the cover. <laughs> of it. And it came together as a joke because the art guy who was helping us design the cover worked for it. I think he was just annoyed by us because we kind of, he was shooting over great ideas, but they were kind of, they'd, they'd been done numerous times. And uh, he, so he sends over this gorilla playing on stage as a joke, kind of an F you to us. And we were like, wait a minute, that's actually kind of cool. Yeah. That's put fun. two of them on there and we got something. Yeah. It's fun. Well, it was funny because the synergy name, if you just think of the name, it brings kind of a Zen feeling and he was sending that kind of stuff to us like a beach scene and some balancing rocks and and we're like that's not the kind of album it is it's i like those concepts for the name but you know it's a kick-ass rock album we can't we don't have a mellow beach scene on the cover so yeah he sent that over as a joke and we were like okay now we're talking. <laughs> yeah, it's rock and roll. It's about having fun. Let, let's loosen up and have fun and not yeah. take ourselves so serious. <laughs> so now where can people go to find out more about this album and the other two and to find out what you guys are doing during this COVID as well as planning on what you're going to be doing afterwards? Well, definitely our face. We're, we're completely social media illiterate. We're terrible with it. But Facebook is probably the one we're best at keeping updated. So we have the Janet Gardner fan page. Um, we both have our own personal pages on there that we keep updated. And uh, we are on Instagram. Not very good with Instagram, to be honest. I go to the kids for help with that one. And then we have a YouTube channel under, uh, I think it's Janet Planet Rocks, and as well as Janet. Yeah, but if you just look up Janet Gardner, you'll find us on YouTube. And then our album is available on Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, you know, all the outlets and I believe Walmart and even Target carry it. I doubt you'd find it in a store, but online it's there. And JanetGardnerMusic.com. I love it. You guys have got to come back to this show anytime in the future. The door is always going to be open for you. Ah, Thanks, Daryl. It's it's always great to talk to you. You have such great energy and you know your stuff. 
Yeah. No, you guys feed me the stuff. You guys give me this music, and all of a sudden, I just start having these feelings, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's about. I love it. <laughs> you be brilliant tonight, you two, okay? You guys, too. Thank you so much. Thanks, Arrow. <laughs> Yes, I am, Jane. Good morning. How are you? Doing very well. You are always a happy girl. Where do you find that happy button at? <laughs> Coffee. First thing in the morning. <laughs> it sets me up for the day. <laughs> I have always dark been... chocolate at night. <laughs> I am so inspired by what you have done with television over the past 10 to 15 years. You're just, you're just mind-blowing us every time we turn around. Well, thank you so much. That makes me feel really good. What a great way to start off the day. It's almost better than the coffee. <laughs> for, for you to be hitting CBS, that inside your heart, you're going to go, that's like, that's the network. That's the one. And now I get to be a guardian angel. I know. It's pretty great. You know, CBS is such a classy operation. They're, you know, it's not easy to get on their schedule. And uh, so that was a terrific coup. The show's called Angel from Hell. And I get to play a guardian angel to Maggie Lawson's doctor. And um, I kind of set off a bomb in the middle of her life. And hilarity will ensue, I promise you. Oh, I'm so sorry. Look what the clumsy mighty oh, did. No oh. worries. Accidents happen. Well, that's a sweet thing to say. I'll bet you're a very sweet person, Dr. Allison. How did you know my name? And then I'm a doctor. Have we met? It feels like it, doesn't it? It's like we have a psychic, spiritual connection. What's happening here? <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Look, palm your charm bracelet. <laughs> I thought you had ESP. I was going to make you guess what my job was. You're unemployed. Actually, I'm uh, developing an app. You get paid for that? No, I'm talking to some investors. Yeah, you're unemployed. <laughs> Beard is ridiculous. <laughs> Why? Dr. Allison! It's me, Amy, from the farmer's market. How random is this running into you? It's really random. Who's this bit, honey? I'm Brad. I'm the brother. Mmm. Hey, I want to show you something. I got this thing on my shoulder. Might be a mole. Could be a wax burn from some degrading role play. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, I do. Don't <laughs> Why don't you just come into my office? Um, I am currently in between insurance carriers, so what's your barter policy? <laughs> just messing with you. <laughs> I'll pay cash. It'll probably be all ones. And no, I'm not a stripper, Brad. Damn it. <laughs> I'm not done with you yet. Good. If you need me, I live above my sister's garage. Ooh, you're a project, aren't you? Get your tool set ready. <laughs> it's so funny the way that you can come in there with the perfect timing of, of just bringing in that line. And your timing has always been spot on. Thank you. Yeah, well, because, again, you're making me feel good about myself. It's, it's not going into the editors and them splicing it in there. I mean, you, you've you definitely got to nail those lines as as they're happening. Oh, well, thank you. And you know what, what I think great about it is I don't think about it because I think if I started thinking about it, I probably would have no timing at all. Now, do you, do you think that, that that kind of edge that you that you bring is because you are doing live performances and, and like being at Joe's Pub is because you know how the audience reacts in that moment? 
Um, I don't I don't know that it's exactly that because I've never taken it apart that way. But it, there is a, a particular thing that happens in a live performance where you're more alive than you are in your life. You're more in the moment than you are in your life. The thinking of anything else ceases, and you are doing nothing but being right there, right now, with those people. And um, that is one of the most joyous things in the world to do. It's it's a real kick, and I'm doing that as you uh, you teased uh, at Joe's Pub uh, this Sunday through Wednesday, two shows a night. Um, and my friend Kate Flannery is joining me. She was Meredith the Drunk on The Office, and she sings with me. We have a five-piece band. Uh, it, it's a real nice, intimate setting, and it's going to be a lot of fun. That just to be intimate in Joe's Pub, it's almost like you're stepping back to the days of vaudeville yeah. and, and everything that New York was always known for. Yeah, it's. I mean, you can you sit at a table, you can order dinner, you can have drinks, and the stage is right there. The 250 people can fit into that joint. It's just newly remodeled, great sound, but it's a throwback, you know. And our band is a throwback. I've got this quintet, the Tony Guerrero Quintet, and they uh, are masters at jazz and blues, and actually they're playing everything. Um, uh, at our gig at Joe's Pub. Uh, we have music that goes all the way back to the 20s up to Nicki Minaj. So th- that's about 100 years worth of music, my friend. That's That's got to be fun to be able to, because somebody can talk, not a heckler, but somebody can talk to you from their table, and you seem to be the type of person no, that can't. would... They, no, they can't. They, they, they can't. You keep no, them far enough away? To do that. <laughs> that is not a part of it. I'll stop you right there. <laughs> but it would be. No, our... but it's, it's a it's a give and a take. I do all the talking, right? Um, but it's, it's a give and take. I definitely feel them. But no, no, there's no going back and forth like that. Can Can you see their eyes when you when you jump into no. a song? Sometimes, like in the front in the front row, I I can't see, but I, I can see a little further back, and that's nice. But it's you know it's not about making it's really not about that one on one. It's it's about the group, it's kind of the group consciousness. So you're part of just a big group. The audience is a part of it too. I call it's, that it's a part of the whole event. I call that the Carlos Santana. You are so willing to share everybody else's gift. I love that. Oh. Well, thank you, and boy, do they have the gifts. The band is amazing. Uh, Kate uh, is the best scene-stealing sidekick a girl could ask for. And then I have this guy, Tim Davis, who is the vocal arranger. I believe he arranged every single song. And he is a wonderful crooner, and he opens up for me. He'll sing a couple of songs on his own and before we come out, and then he joins us and does some three-part harmony with us. So, yeah, it's a kind of a free-for-all with all the gifts that are up there on stage. Everybody gets a chance to shine. It almost And also, let me say, one of my favorite moments, and this is where everybody gets to shine, we just incorporated into the show a medley of songs that made us cry when we were kids. So <laughs> everybody has their moment. When, when I, I will we'll sing songs, but like the, the, I have the drummer song that made him cry when he was a kid. I have the bass player song that made him cry, so it's pretty fun. That's such a magical moment because then your audience can think about that one song that made makes them cry. I mean, I could do Seasons yeah. in the Sun over and over and over again and still feel that tear. Exactly. That's before you do that. <laughs> I love that. And that. And do you, do you yeah. find yourself wanting to take that out further from New York City to maybe do a, a big city tour, Los Angeles? We maybe have. Some, that's awesome. We've been we've been touring for the last year, so we've been all over the country, and we started out at Fifty Four Below in New York. And um, we have been, uh, you know, we've probably been to uh, 20 cities. 
Wow. And this weekend, starting yep. Sunday, you're going to be at Joe's Pub four nights. Okay. If you were For to pull... Four nights, two nights, two shows a night. If, if you were to see Jane Lynch through a periscope, but had to pull back to get a, a bigger picture of what's going on, would you sing along with her? Me? Yeah. <laughs> would you say in other words in other words what I'm trying to do is if, if you could watch yourself up on stage, what would that be oh. like for you? <laughs> I don't know. I would probably say, Why are you up there and I'm not up there? I don't I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Your animated voices have been phenomenal. Jennifer Lopez recently told me that that was one of the most difficult things, but you make it look so simple. How is it that you're able to bring those lines together without somebody in that room that's reacting to you? You know, the thing is, is they start with our voice, so I do the first thing. I get to go into the booth, and it's, you know, if I thought about it too much, it would be hard, but I don't think about it. I just act it, and you know, they've given me a rendering of what the character looks like, and then they kind of tailor it to you. They they videotape you when you're talking, and so it's it's pretty fun. To, to switch characters as fast as you can do with with everything that you've done, is that something that you picked up at Second City? I'll bet I did. I'll bet I did. Because we would do a, a, a show, about an hour and a half show. Um, there were usually 10 or 11, maybe even up to 15 sketches. So, yeah, you're jumping back and forth. You become pretty facile with going from one energy to another, from one wig to another, to one pair of glasses from another. Yeah, it, it, we, we, got, we learned, you know, it was like being in the trenches in terms of character work. And to, well, look what you're doing, like even at Joe's Pubs. I mean, you're, you're, you're right back there to doing that live performance. So that's really got to ignite yeah. the original seed. It sure does. And indeed it does. And, you know, it's one song after another, and we do a little pattern in between. So in a way, each song is like a separate scene. That's how I look at it. There's, there's, there's always been one of your big signatures, the vocal undertone is what I call it, or I call it the shadow voice, where you will deliver a line, and then your second line immediately is kind of a whisper talk. Where did that come from? Wow, I don't know. You know, you just pulled apart something that I don't even know I do, and I almost wish you hadn't told me. Oh, no. Now I'm going to think about it. No. <laughs> the shadow voice. Oh, I'm that because it's, it's, it's in that voice that you are saying what we're thinking, and we laugh harder because it's like, oh, my God, she's one of us. Yeah, and also she's saying what I would never say. I think all the time. <laughs> you got to talk to me about writing your book, Happy Accidents. In looking at sure. the book now, is there anything that the editor put that took out that you really wish could have been inside there? No, 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 no. In fact, I had full full reign on that. No, absolutely. I, uh, I it was one of those things that uh, no, I didn't have to fight with anybody. Because that what what's really honest about this book is the fact that you are being honest, and is, I mean that most people w- w- would rather just paint only the happy times. But what's happened is is that you you really give us that true picture of who you are. Oh well, thank you so much. And you know, sometimes you tend to paint the dark times too. But I think every story, you know, every story is uh, a combination of uh, the ups and downs. But, but and then the- after a while, you just got to let the story go, which is kind of how I felt after I wrote that book. I was like, okay, well, that's one story of how my life is. Uh, there's probably 15 different ways to tell it. Why don't we just let go of it <laughs> and would, stay in the moment? Would you ever turn that into a sitcom of sorts? No, I don't. I'm, I'm not interesting enough at all. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'll send it to Sean Hayes. He'll put it into a sitcom for yeah, you. Yeah, right. He'll do it. He knows how to bring his wife on stage. You're referring to Hollywood game night. Oh, my God. The, the two of you together. Why have you not done a movie together? 
We had well, we did, but we didn't act too much together. We did the Three Stooges. We had right. a couple of moments together, but yeah, we haven't worked, but we know each other very well. It's kind of weird. I feel like I have worked with him, but I really haven't. Both I've worked for him. Both of you are, are are characters that America has learned to trust and love to trust. I mean, and it, it's such an automatic, and it's it, it's almost like we're starving for that opportunity to watch you two. Oh, aren't you sweet? Well, thank you, and I will pass that on to him. And will love to hear that. So you're going to be at Joe's this Sunday, yeah. four nights, mm-hmm. music. There's some conversation when when the laughs. Sh- oh, see, that's the best part—the laughs. Yeah. Yeah. And in that moment, are you going to record any of it so that the people that can't get up to Joe's Pub or travel around the country with you, can they watch it on a DVD? Have you decided to do anything like uh, that? We're going to do that, but not at Joe's Pub. We'll do that at some point. Um, I, I really couldn't tell you when because I don't know, but we're, we're definitely going to um, uh, film it and uh, probably maybe even record it, you know, release a record. We'll see. We'll do something with it. Now, as entertainers, the two of us both know that the performance is the act, but how do you keep it so real to where, where you know, you've got to cross that line into... It, I always look at it as being, we know where the edge of the stage is, but somehow, some way, we've got to get up into the balconies. How is it that you're able to do that? I don't think about it, my friend. I really don't. I love I, you I for I saying that. Instinct. I've been doing it for a long time, too, so maybe there was a time when I did, um, but I, I kind of have that gauged uh, on that is so on automatic pilot that I don't think about it. And if it were to think about it, like I, I guess if I did this, you know, I do this show for uh, Joe's Pub, it's very intimate, 250 people. Um, and I've done it in, uh, when we were in uh, Denver, uh, 1,800 people. And I really don't know that I changed anything or thought about anything. I'm sure I modulated something. But I don't think about it. So that means that you've tapped into your true gift. I mean, because it, it's so much a part of who you are. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's, it's kind of on automatic pilot right now. Now, what, what happens after Joe's Pub? I mean, you're going to put the focus and everything like that on, onto the new sitcom. but, but you're, right. you've, and, and you're also going to do the, the game show. But there's, mm-hmm. a, there's always that side of you that never stops. I mean, you really are like the James Brown of modern day television. Yeah. Well, I am going to uh, continue touring the show. We have probably uh, seven or eight more dates until um, uh, maybe more than maybe like 10 dates until Christmas. So we're, we're going to be touring, uh, you know, on weekends. So I'll be, I'll be uh, leaving town a lot. That means you're going to have to be doing some live Christmas music on that stage, too, maybe? Well, I hope so. We're, we're, we're going to be in Chicago, my hometown, uh, around Christmas time, and I've got some notions about Christmas stuff. So, yeah, there will definitely be that happening. White Sox or Chicago Cubs? Uh, uh, Cubs, even though I'm from the South Side, which is kind of sacrilege. <laughs> I love it because you're so real. Thank you so much for your time today, Jane. <laughs> you bet.